As Paul said, we are in our series on evangelism. This is our third week. And so just as a recap of the, what we've covered so far, in the first week, we talked about the necessity of prayer in evangelism, that both our need to be shaped as those who carry the gospel to this world and share the gospel with others, we need to be shaped into a kind of people that have compassion and love for those people. And in prayer, that happens. But we also need prayer because we can't save anybody. Our words, our actions, our deeds, our best efforts, our smartest responses are nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to pray that the Lord would move and give us opportunities and give us the words to speak. And then last week, we talked about what does it look like to detangle the gospel from the cultural myths and messages that sometimes dilute it and pollute it and what we sometimes carry in our own presentation of the gospel. And so we talked about what does it look like to preach a gospel that in many ways confronts some of the American idolatry that we experience and how in that, when, when non-Christians have a misperception of what the gospel means, it's an opportunity to step in and tell them a greater story. And this week, we are going to consider a way to share the gospel with others and engage others with the message of Jesus that some of us may overlook. And so I want to I introduce this topic by highlighting a, a well-known game show. So on March 30th, 1964, the game show Jeopardy made its debut. Most of you are familiar with the mechanics of this game. Contestants are given general knowledge clues with a variety of categories, right? History, current events, sciences, arts, popular culture, literature, languages. And the first one to ring in with the correct answer gets the money. Most money at the end of the game wins, and you can kind of keep going and keep going. But what is the unique and distinct aspect of this game show? That the way you correctly answer the question is not by answering, but by what? giving a question, asking a question. And so the way it works is the answer is actually given to you and you respond with the question. So the way to win in Jeopardy is all about asking questions. And so when it comes to evangelism, it's often easy for us to think that the method that we most employ, that, that what we're after is just sharing information, giving answers. That we got to share the gospel with others. We got to answer all the questions. We have to give people information about what it means to follow Christ. And most of our methods and our approach has to do with us doing that. But as we, we're going to consider this morning, one of the most important and effective and biblical aspects of sharing the gospel is actually questions. Yes, there's a place for answers. Absolutely. But the role of questions becomes very important, especially when we consider how Jesus regularly used questions when he shared the gospel. So really hearing, and, and, and not just hearing content, but really hearing what is underneath the questions that other people have, and then asking questions ourselves is what we're going to consider this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus masterfully engaged people at the level of questions, both the questions he was being asked himself and the questions that he asked. And so what this is going to require of us is a little bit of a slowing down and engaging people at a deeper level. It means we're going to have to sort of seek understanding of who a person is and what makes them tick. What do they love? What do they fear? What do they care about? What are their interests? We actually get to know a person and love them and care for them. 
And it's also about taking the gospel message and more precisely and effectively dropping it in a person's lap. Like being able to speak the gospel right to where a person lives. And this is also about our own posture toward those we are sharing the gospel with. Do we actually care about them? Or are they just a project? Or are they just a sales pitch? Or are they just a box to check? Hey, I shared the gospel with that person. Cool, I'm moving on with my day. And as I've said the past three weeks, those of you in this room who do not profess faith in Christ, and you're here because someone invited you, or you're curious about who Jesus is, or for whatever reason, I hope you hear our heart for you. I hope you hear the posture that we desire to have as we share the gospel with you, and we want you to know Jesus, that you are not a project. You are a real, living, breathing person, that we want to know Christ and follow Christ and be a disciple. So the two points for us to consider this morning as it relates to questions. The first is the questions people ask, and the second, the questions we ask. So when we consider the questions people ask, let's, let's turn to Matthew 19. And so there's this young man that comes to Jesus and asks him a question. In verse 16, here we get the question. And behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Oh, this is an excellent question, right? How do I get eternal life? How do I go to heaven? What good must I do? And then Jesus responds in verse 17. First by asking him a question and then sort of answering the question. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but just notice how Jesus responds. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Then the young man asked Jesus, well, which ones? Then Jesus responds in verses 18 and 19. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in response to Jesus telling him these commands, the young man says, well, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Such an interesting response here. I've done all that, but I'm still lacking something. It's like he intuitively knew that even though he sort of did what Jesus said, something inside him was not sitting right. I mean, he was able to sort of outwardly check the box that, hey, I'm I'm doing everything Jesus is telling me to do, but inwardly, he's still troubled. There's still something going on inside him. Jesus, I've, I've done what you said, but I still wrestle. Why? What am I lacking And what this shows is that the initial question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life, is actually shot through with multiple layers of questions. It wasn't just a surface question that the guy was kind of running up and like, man, I really have no clue how to get to heaven. How do I do this? Tell me the answer and good, I'll be on my way. There's much more going on in this man's question. And so can you hear the questions within the question? What is good? What what is the standard? Is there good and evil, and what is it? And and maybe even deeper, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Why why am I still wrestling? Am am I good enough? Why am I not fulfilled? Am I not enough? Will I ever be able to do enough? So underneath this man's question, are deeper questions, questions that his soul is wrestling with, questions that 
on the surface might not appear, might not come out, might not get articulated, but in that one question to Jesus are all present. And so let me, let me ask you this question for, for how you engage other people. Are you aware of the questions stirring inside the soul of your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers? Sometimes people are asking questions directly, but sometimes they're not. Are you aware of the questions those close to you have? Are you aware of the questions inside the questions? I can remember one time one of my cousins asking me, just we were having a conversation, and, and she asked me, why do you have so much peace? It kind of threw me off guard because I'm like, I don't really think that I have a lot of peace. But, but at the time, I just was like, okay, here's a softball question. I'm going to go right at it and tell her all about Jesus. But what I missed, because the conversation was good, but it, but it kind of missed in some places, and, and reflecting back on that conversation, here's what I missed. The question was, was, yeah, why do I have so much peace? But the deeper question underneath that was her asking, am I too broken to ever find peace? And I missed that. I missed that because I wasn't listening to the question underneath the question. I wasn't probing. I wasn't reflecting on what my cousin was really asking. And so do you hear the questions people are asking? Sometimes those questions don't come out in the form of a question at all, but come out in the form of action and behavior. In your coworker's pursuit of status and wealth, can you hear the question, am I important? Do I matter? In the neighbor that bounces from relationship to relationship, can you hear the question, am I loved? Does anyone love me? Does anyone care? In the friend addicted to drugs or porn or escapes through entertainment, do you hear the question, will the pain ever end? I wonder if you've ever in sort of identified those questions in your own soul. But, but my, my push on you this morning is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you slowing down that you may know a person's heart? Are you paying attention and seeing What's underneath their behavior and their actions? Are you aware of the questions people are asking? Would you have detected the the layers of question in this young man's, what good must I do to be saved? Inherit eternal life. Would you have detected the question within the question? Are, Are you aware of the questions in your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and your family, even if they're not necessarily aware of them themselves? Are you paying attention? Are you listening? Or are we just firing off answers? Are we just rapid fire? I got to get the information out. I got to go for it. I got to push this out and give them the answers. Or are we slowing down and listening? Slowing down enough to read between the lines. And so the first thing that's held out before us is are we in tune and are we, are we able to understand the questions that people are asking? And so that's the first. The second has to do with the questions we ask because if we're ever going to get underneath and understand the questions that people are asking, we're going to have to ask our own questions. We're going to have to ask other people questions. And so Jesus responds to this man's question with a question. Don't overlook this. I mean, think about this. How many of you would love a softball question like this? Hey, how do I go to heaven? 
I mean, some of us, that, that softball goes up, man, we just tee back, man, believe in Jesus Christ, boom. And I wonder if the disciples sitting around Jesus were like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, man, this guy asked a great question. Jesus is going to give it to him. And make no mistake, sometimes Jesus answered with a direct sort of answer, straightforward. John 6, similar question is asked. Jesus says, believe in the one the Father sent. The apostles, such as Peter and Paul, sometimes when they were asked, what must we do to be saved, gave them a direct response. But if you look in the Gospels, more often than not, Jesus responded to a question with a question. And here he does that very same thing because sometimes questions are better than direct answers. Sometimes we need to ask questions. We need to ask questions to deepen our understanding of people. We need to get inside what makes a person tick. We need to ask them about themselves. Tell me more about that. Press a little further. Show genuine curiosity and care for another person. But the other aspect of this too is that we ask questions to stir people's hearts. We ask questions to get them to start thinking through and processing through what they believe and why they believe it and what's going on inside their own soul. As Randy Newman explains in his book, Questioning Evangelism, he says, answering a question with a question then often has significant advantages over using direct answers. It brings to the surface the questioner's assumptions. Shifting the burden of response is important because as long as we're on the defensive, the questioners are not really wrestling with issues. And so sometimes we need to get the other person to slow down and think through things and talk through things. We're sort of tilling the soil, so to speak, of their heart and engaging in a back and forth to get them to consider things. Questions help us get to the heart of a person's own questions and objections. Asking questions can expose hidden agendas and motives. It helps us unearth unexamined issues that an individual might not even be aware of. And this is exactly what Jesus did. So let's go back through this dialogue and look more closely at how Jesus engages this young man. Because he uses a well-placed question and then he uses some non-direct answers. So back to verse 16 and 17. And behold, the man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So the man comes using this term good in relation to eternal life. And so we could ask the question a little differently. How can I be good enough to earn eternal life? And immediately Jesus throws him back on his heels. Why are you asking me about what is good in relation to what you do? It's almost as if, why would you ask such a ridiculous question? But he's, he's trying to get the man to consider, you use this word good. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, some of you know what that's a reference to. And, and so the, the idea here is, hey, stop. Think about this. You just used a term. What do you mean by that? Think through that. And he's calling this man to consider his categories. Consider how you define good. What are your thoughts on that? And even Jesus' answer, keep the commandments, is purposely vague. Like he's setting this guy up. He's moving this guy through a progression of consideration to get to expose some things in this guy's heart. And so Jesus is trying to get this man to wrestle out what's going on in his heart. He's pressing deeper into this question with a question. 
And so when the man asks, so Jesus responds, which one, or excuse me, the, the young man responds, which one of the commandments? Jesus responds in verses 18 and 19. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is that that he just answered with? It's the second half of the Ten Commandments. He says, follow these commandments, the second half. Now, what's missing? The first half. Does that mean that Jesus forgot about the first half or it was unimportant? No, no. Watch what Jesus is doing. He's setting this guy up to expose some things. He, he sets up, okay, here's, here are some commandments. Here's some baseline. Here's some behaviors. And the guy says, all these I have kept. And in that moment, Jesus has just exposed this guy's stunted view of goodness. Because the guy in his mind has just said, I've kept all of these. Leaving out an entirely massive category. Because what Jesus is setting up is showing, hey, it's not just external superficial behaviors. Something much deeper. Something much more profound. It has to touch the area of worship and love and loyalty. And so in verses 21 and 22, Jesus gets direct, finally, and exposes what is underneath this man's questions about good deeds and eternal life. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went from, hey, I've kept all of these, I'm doing good, to, oh, sorrowful, walking away isn't what I thought. And calling this rich man to follow him, Jesus explodes his superficial notion of good and he finally gives an answer to that question. And this answer confronts his sin and his pride. Jesus was getting this guy to reflect upon, hey, you use that term good, but you have such a superficial understanding of that. I need to deepen and convict and point out the flaw in how you view that and how you think about that. And so there was something more important to this man than true goodness in eternal life, his wealth and his status. Would you, would you have known that had Jesus just given a direct answer? Would, would we have known what was really at the heart of this man's questions and objections if he had not asked further questions and drawn this guy, the, the, the belief of this man out? I mean, I'm sure he sincerely wanted to be good. I'm sure this was a sincere question. I'm sure he really cared about eternal life. Those questions were real. The stirring in his heart is real. The questions and the wrestles, the things going on in the heart of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, it's all real. But we can't miss that they're not asked innocently. They're not asked just sort of as a blank slate. All of our questioning, all of our wrestling is shot through with sin. All of it is shot through with self-interest. Because what we see here is that this man really wasn't interested in gospel answers. He only wanted answers that sort of validated him and where he was. He loved and worshipped his wealth and status more than God. Which means he broke the first part of the commandments, which means him saying, I have kept all these commandments... For him to say that means, hey, you have a superficial understanding. Your answer to what is good, you want that 
to completely validate your wealth and your status and how you're living. See, this man was asking questions to sort of find an answer that let him stay where he was and validated who he was, validated his own sin and his own pride. And Jesus was unpacking that and showing, no, what you're really interested in is self-interest. You're not actually interested in the answer to this question. And when the man was confronted with that, he was sorrowful and walked away. And so asking questions here for Jesus allowed him to poke deeper and pinpoint what was really going on and show this really wasn't about the initial question. There was a question underneath the question. So this, this whole idea of getting into questions underneath questions was driven home to me several years ago. And I've, I've shared this story with some of you, talked about this in the evangelism uh, learning group we're doing now, but had a friend out on the East Coast who he and I would get in discussions back and forth about Scripture. He always had trouble about, uh, can, can the Scriptures be trusted? Are there contradictions? Is it actual history? And we go back and forth on these things. And it seemed like no matter how many answers I gave him, how many books I, I gave him to read, he just, it just wouldn't work, didn't care. And so finally, we were having a conversation, and one time I go, hey, if I prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible was 100% historically accurate, no contradictions, was actually the word of God. If, if I could prove that to you perfectly, would you believe in Jesus? Would you come to, to faith in the gospel? And he looked at me, he goes, probably not. And it was right there that it, it hit me. This has nothing to do with intellectual argument. He doesn't want to submit. He doesn't want to let go of his sin. He doesn't want to give up the lifestyle that he had been leading, and he knew that Jesus would impose upon him. And so he wanted to push aside Christ by saying, that isn't true, that's contradictory, that's not authoritative, because if that is authoritative, then that means something for my life. So how often is there the question underneath the question that we will never get to unless we are asking people questions? Oh, it is sad that this man walked away from Jesus. He had the opportunity right there to embrace eternal life and follow Christ. But because his heart was bent sinfully, because his heart wanted to be validated in his sin and his pride, he didn't want Jesus to actually pull him out into true life, he walked away. And so we use questions, we need questions to help us understand people, help us understand what's really going on in a person's heart and to get them to reflect on it as well. And so what are some examples of questions that can invite reflection? Now, I'm not asking you to just like cold, just kind of cold call, walk in and just like ask a person this question, just flat out, like start a conversation by, hey, hey, why do you believe what you believe? I'm not asking you to just, you know, try to drop these bombs as if they're kind of this magical silver bullet. No, but they're the kind of questions that as you engage people in conversation, allows you to press a little bit deeper. So a question, why do you believe that? What, what has caused you? What has formed you? What are the reasons you have to believe something? Have you reflected upon that? Because a lot of us form our beliefs without any reflection at all. What do you hope will happen? Oh, what does it mean to touch at someone's the deepest hopes, their expectations? Get underneath sort of what, what they hope is going to happen in life, what, what they desire. What are you afraid of? Oh, start talking about people's fear and you will get a lot of insight into them. 
How do you know that? This is a way to sort of understand how a person builds their reasoning and understands what they know. How has that shaped you? Getting a person to reflect on their experiences and how it shaped them, oh, this is huge. We're shaped in so many ways that we're not aware of. And so for someone to actually say, hey, tell me how that experience actually shaped you and changed you, oh, there's some good conversation that comes out of that. Or this one, how will that fix things? You seem to think this is a solution. You seem to think this is your salvation. How so? How does that actually work? Is it just something you sort of rationally have thought through, something you've actually wrestled with, or is it just this sort of gut level, I hope this works out, I'm not really sure how it will, but I'm just putting my faith there. And so we ask questions to probe a little deeper, to understand where people are coming from and to get them to reflect. We're not trying to be interrogators and shifty and elusive with answers. We're working for precision and insight that comes only with time and intentionality. Means you gotta slow down. Means you gotta take some time to talk with people, get to know them, develop a relationship with them. To communicate the gospel in a relevant way means we're applying gospel truth to an individual's actual life and situation. And so we need to understand them. And so ask questions. Learn how to take the gospel in a way that actually hits home and loves them and and sort of pokes in a redemptive way. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you receive a diagnosis from a doctor that a cancerous tumor has attached itself to your spine. Doctor tells you, hey, if I can remove the tumor, you're going to make a full recovery, you're going to be fine. However, the surgery is dangerous because even one small incision, the wrong way, and you will be a quadriplegic. And so you agree to the procedure. And on the operating table, as they're prepping you, the doctor is going to show you, hey, here's the instruments that I'm going to use for your surgery. And he proceeds to pull out a chainsaw. What's going to go through your mind at that time? Man, that's going to get the cancer all right, but there's no way I'm leaving this, walk, this operating room walking. Because a, a chainsaw is not a surgical, precise, surgically precise instrument. Oh, it's going to get that cancerous tumor right, but it's going to wreck the rest of the body. And how often can we, can we do this with the gospel? We can sort of just lambast people with the gospel message in a way that isn't helpful and actually can be hurtful because all I think is, man, these Christians are jerks and they never want to shut up and listen. Or we shoot over their heads because we're not actually getting inside where they live and talking about where the gospel is going to actually speak to their real lived-in situation, their real life experience, their real sin, their real hurts. And maybe, maybe you can ask it this way. Do you know the sins of your neighbor and your coworker and your friend, like not just kind of the superficial sins, but the real heart issues. And do you know how to speak the gospel to those things? And so, yeah, we can preach the gospel at people, but are we doing it in such a way that shows care and precision for who they are as people and where they live? Are we slowing down enough to know where to make the cut? Where, where to speak truth, where to wrestle and probe some more, and where to go deeper. At the same time, our questions must cut, must probe. Let's say you're on the operating table, and the doctor's going to show you his tools, and instead he pulls out a plasticware knife. 
I mean, you might be thinking, are you actually going to do surgery or are you just going to give me some like irritation on my skin? Because that's not going to cut anything. And so our questions need to, to actually be questions that probe and move into deeper issues. We can't just be superficial with our questions. Like show genuine concern. And this isn't about dodging and being afraid to share the gospel straightforward. Because have you ever actually asked someone a pointed question? That takes guts. Like to ask someone a vulnerable question to open up their heart, that takes a little bit of some, some moxie. So, so this isn't about being passive in our presentation of the gospel. This actually takes some boldness. And so we ask questions to slow down and listen. We take our time to get to know, know the person and develop real relationships we apply the gospel with precision. We want to bring the gospel to a place where it hits home. We ask good questions, relevant questions, not, hey, have you found Jesus? And they respond, well, I didn't know he was missing. That's not a good question because it's not hitting home. So what are the questions that you can ask? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? And, and consider this, even if you don't have time to develop a relationship, may, maybe you're only going to have one conversation with somebody. This is still a good practice because what you're doing is you're sowing seed. You're tilling the ground. Do you, do you know for, for most people, on average, it takes 25 gospel conversations before someone comes to faith? 25. You never know where you are on that that line. You could be number one, you could be number two, you could be number 15. But if we have that sense that like, hey, this is a process for a person and God is at work in their life and this is, this is probably going to take multiple conversations, it means I don't have to rush to close the deal with anyone. It means I can slow down, ask questions, probe, get underneath things, stir their heart, get them to consider, kind of push on them so the Holy Spirit can work inside them. And this is really discipleship. The same thing we do with each other, asking good questions, listening, slowing down, developing relationships. This should extend out and be the exact same thing we do with those who don't know Christ. In some ways, this is going to look different, right? The questions we ask, the way that we engage them, it's going to look different on some level. But how powerful, church, how powerful will it be for non-Christians to experience the kind of care and love and concern and friendship that we experience as the church. Because when that happens, when we take the culture of the church to the streets, so to speak, and let others taste it, we are not only being more precise and thoughtful, we're not only being more Christ-like in our evangelism and using the methods that he used, we're also letting others get a taste and a glimpse of what it means to belong to the church. We're giving them a, a taste of, hey, this is the culture that we're inviting you into. And so those questions of, am I loved? Do I matter? Is there good? Does God love me? Is God good? Will the pain ever end? Those questions are not only answered in our words, but with our actions. And we can trust that the Spirit is at work. We can take joy knowing we're honoring Christ and reflecting the glory of Christ and that Christ is using us to continue his mission. So this, this story in Matthew 19 is actually in both the Gospels of Mark and Luke as well. 
And in the, the account that Mark tells, it says before Jesus gives the man sort of his final declaration of come follow me, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, Jesus had compassion on this man. Jesus loved this man. Jesus took time to probe this guy's heart and draw out the sin that was there. His questioning and confronting was done with a heart of love. And so for us, church, what does it mean to love others this way? What does it mean to slow down and listen and care and hear and take time and be patient? For us to love others like that, we need to reflect daily on how we have been loved that way in Christ. How God loved us that way to slowly, patiently deal with us in our heart. To, to listen to our questions and listen to our objections and draw us out through his word and through his spirit and through others. Oh, you have been radically loved in this way if you are in Jesus Christ. So extend that love to others and ask good questions. Listen well, slow down. In church, we will be much more like Christ in our evangelism. Amen?